Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, a series of conversations with the artists, labels, and promoters who are shaping the electronic music landscape. I'm Jordan Rothline, and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. For Lucy, techno is no laughing matter. It's a form of ritual, an intellectual pursuit, and a deeply personal expression all rolled into one. He discovered electronic music at a record store in Sicily where he grew up, and got acquainted with the power of sound systems and dance floors at dub parties on the island. Producing and DJing came a bit later, while he was studying in Paris, but the project that's been his biggest undertaking, Stroboscopic Artifacts, took shape when he moved to Berlin. It's a wholly unique label in techno, mixing dance floor tropes with considerably more experimental elements, often within the space of the same track. He's also brought mastering and design under one roof, giving the label an exceptionally tight aesthetic. Stroboscopic Artifacts celebrates its fifth anniversary this year, with label showcases at some of Europe's biggest clubs and a series of EPs from its family of artists. On the eve of the festivities, Lucy stopped by our Berlin office to lay out his singular approach and the twists and turns that help him arrive there. Your label really betrays an interest in a lot of music that is not techno. And that sort of makes me curious about your musical background, what you grew up listening to, kind of what got you into all of this. So let's say, first of all, about what you say, it's always about how you interpret the word techno. Because like for me, techno means a lot of things. It's more like about an approach to music and expression of yourself than a specific sound gender you know and that's the way i like to think in like managing the label and uh, making the artistic direction of it where i come from many different places like uh, i was born and i grew up in sicily which is um, quite a remote place in italy like there is actually no electronic scene at all there has never been you know so let's say when you kind of come to some surprises like when i first time heard selected ambient works by apex Twin, which was really my very very first approach to electronic music i was like 15 i think and i was in this little the only record shop in palermo my hometown where you could actually find something different you know something to discover you know like uh you know that typical real record store old school guy that you go there he knows you he knows your taste and try to like get a pile ready for you of records and it's like you have to listen to this and that day i came on that particular record, which immediately sounded so different from anything else. And uh, did and did the record store owner put that on your pile, or yeah, did yeah, you grab he, it? he put it on my pile. He was also responsible for the first time I touched a synthesizer. <laughs> so, like, because he on the table of this record store there were like just a basic like some drum machines, some very vintage synths and stuff, and people could just like play in headphones with them. 
uh, he was like, uh, you know, there are some people that can do really magic with that kind of stuff. Try to listen to this. And uh, that was my first approach to pure electronic music, like the Selected Ambient Works, where like I already had in my influences some um, electronic music influenced things like a lot of psychedelic rock and stuff like this but like uh, that was the first time that I touched the integral side of it and uh, and when I put the headphones on I still remember this feeling of like this is a new cosmos you know this is another thing this is a complete new reality you know like for what I hear as it's so different from the reality we live in like the horizontal life you know from what I hear, it's so powerful that it has kind of the the dignity of another reality. It's just a different one. Like, and I was so curious about like, uh, how can you do that? You know what I mean? Like, I need those tools to because I just feel that that is the right way for me to express things I have inside. You know. So it made you want both to listen to yeah. a lot more electronic music and but also only, make music and not only mainly starting producing so I started like uh, trying to understand like how does that work and there was nobody in my hometown that could tell me so it was um a very solipsistic approach to it so it was like a lot of trying trying to buy like I also come from a very poor family so didn't have that much money so like to buy one cent it was like a huge effort you know so when I was getting one it was really deep going into it you know what I mean like exploring all possible sides of it so it, it was that's the way I really started out and that was kind of one side of the main influence. On the other side, there was something else that I, um, that was very constant in my life that was like dub music, like old school, um, proper original dub from Jamaica. I mean, like Lee Perry, King Tubby and all these people. Like that was like, for me, like mixing up those two influences, if I need to cut it short, let's say about my, or like at least to abstract in a, in a clear way, my influences, like let's say those two perspectives on music merged together. It's, uh, I feel it's like where I come from. That's it. It's like dubbed version of what I heard on Select and Ambient Works. <laughs> dub is an interesting one. I read in another interview with you, you said that dub was quite popular in Sicily, that mm -hmm. this was music everybody was listening to. Yeah, definitely. I mean, not everybody, but let, let's say the rave culture in Sicily, imagine a place for like six months of summer and things like this was mainly like reg and up festivals. So that's where we were hanging out, you know, like so. And uh, as usual in that kind of festival, you, you have like the big main stage with the usual stuff that was not that interesting to me. But you always had this kind of side stages where they were playing the most, the weirdest like dub stuff like, and that's how I got to hear in a sound system and in a dance floor context, uh, what does it mean? It's like treating sounds in a different way. Like, so not only expressing yourself through notes and melodies and things that just stick to your head, which is a very pop and mainstream way of interpreting music aesthetic, but like to express yourself and giving an artistic shape to what you are doing through the actual way you treat the sound itself. When Lee Perry is putting a reverb on a hi-hat, 
is not just putting a reverb, that reverb is sounding like a significant element of the track. It's not just a backspace around the hi-hat. It's like a, like a synth, let's say, you know what I mean? Like that's what's so interesting to me when you kind of try to use the space that you normally have in a room or in whatever place you are that's the reverb, let's say, and kind of digitally or like with some special scene techniques or modulars and stuff like to kind of deform it into a different shape of room and imaginary rooms and spaces that can't exist in your, once again, horizontal reality, but that exist in that different reality, which is like this very strange abstract uh, music words, you know? Like. Yeah, it sounds like from dub, you really learned, for one, about dance floors and the dance floor as a, as a space for musical exploration, but also sound design. Mm. And those are two really big elements of, of your work. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, if I think about it, let's say when I was listening to Apex Twin and Relator, so that kind of pure electronic music for me was a very inner experience, a very solipsistic one, very similar to when um, I'm trying to express like the difference between like those two words. When you are like sitting down in the studio, for example, alone, building up an album for maybe three years, you know, like, and that's only your word. Nobody hears it before it's finished. Like, and it's kind of a very psycho process because you get so deep into a world that doesn't exist outside you, you know? And you dive so deep into it that it's only you, you know what I mean? Like, and when you have no references with the external world, sometimes you really pass through this very deep, dark moments of doubting about like, what am I doing? Is this just a um, kind of brain masturbation? You know what I mean? Or, or it has a sense, but in the end it has a sense because if I felt so deeply that I need to take this out from myself, that that is probably the only actual sense. And the difference from this very solipsistic world and uh, in our business, when you go out and tour, you know, from that you are like bounced in front of like 10,000 people in a festival, you know. And then there is this process of translation of your like studio experience in the DJ performance that it's like a kind of trying somehow to, to get that word uh, expressed to this huge crowd uh, through a new kind of uh, paradigm, which is like uh, dancing. So like, uh, that's the only rule. People need to dance, but still inside that frame, you can like uh, deform what you did in the studio in that language, you know, which uh, transforms into a body language, etc. That That's very interesting because it's like uh, the same dynamic that was going on with my influences. Like on one side, dance all dub thing, like where I was like inside a dance floor, feeling how the music expands through a crowd. And at the same time, like listening to other very, very, for me, meditative experience things, you know, and like just being on my headphones alone for hours, you know, like that's... So how do those two things eventually merge? Or when do those two things eventually merge? Many, many years later. Let's say that my performer 
activity like start as people knows it started when I was living already in Paris. That means like eight years ago. And you were in Paris to study, right? Yeah, I was in Paris for university. I was uh, doing my specialization in cognitive science at that time. Let's say before that, I had other experiences as a performer, like I was studying a lot of percussions, like tabla also, like which is a very interesting instrument, which is still part of my personal treasure as kind of a groove system and things, you know. But still, like the DJ thing really started only in Paris. Like it came just, you know, I guess as it usually come, like just... Uh, Friends, little parties, then bigger parties, then you start to really enjoy it. And then by chance at that time, I started releasing things like having the first business contacts with labels and signing contracts and things. And then all together started walking through a direction, you know, that's how it started. The music you were DJing at that time in Paris, what did it sound like? Well, it was uh, much more eclectic. Like, it was really from actually dub stuff to the jungle, like drum and bass, some techno and stuff. But, like, let's say the interest for, like, more pure form of techno came also after, like, and came when I actually decided to move to Berlin, so, like, seven years ago or something. And it was not so much interest like because of a music genre was more like kind of for me a exercise of discipline also in the studio because I at some point I found out like I was producing since when I was 15 and let's say my own output was so so extravagant you know what I mean that I I, I said like yeah it's nice but I also kind of need to change my approach and no more using this production thing like this music creation as a, like a diary for a teenager you know where I just like put everything out but like kind of going deep into a direction to explore it properly in all its details you know like kind of focusing on uh, one little thing to understand its uh, full potential it's like when you Let's say it's a, it's a microcosmos, like when you look into big objects, then a smaller details of it, then you take a microscope and you go in and it's like infinite perspective inside, you know, like it's, uh, it's the same. It's just choosing your, uh, your methods, let's say, but uh, the message is kind of uh, similar. Yeah. And what did you really choose to focus in on? I mean, your productions have mostly been what I think most people would call techno mm -hmm. but how did you sort of zero in on on that sound one very important aspect of my musical education was like the percussions and uh, percussions means of course that i got in touch with a lot of very ritual music you know so music that is connected to certain beliefs kind of energies moving and things like this like and for me techno was the closest at least this particular kind of aesthetic in techno that I like uh, let's say what often people call it dark techno I don't really agree with the term but like just to understand each other like that kind of aesthetic was so interesting to me because it was like uh, let's say the of the contemporary music output that I was hearing around me 
the one that was closest to that kind of very ritualistic approach. So like very loopy, but always changing, like slowly morphing and all this kind of uh, typical mechanism that are um, exactly the same as like, let's say, um, ethnic ritual music just translated into our western civilization language you know like, and you say that this is something you were kind of encountering around you do you uh, mean in paris I part, mean, no no mainly in berlin like this came really in berlin when i actually moved to berlin from paris and during the first year like i just built up in my mind and also like administratively consequently like the the structure of stroboscopic artifacts the label because like I came from Paris with this idea like I really want to have a platform where like uh, what I call like beautiful minds could meet and say something like uh, at least like trying to translate certain kind of inputs of the external words into a communicative output I still didn't know that that could have been a label <laughs> you know like uh, I had a lot of ideas in mind and things I then when I moved to Berlin for actually mainly other reasons too like uh, Berlin was much cheaper than Paris like and Paris life was going like I don't know like there was like the right wing was going so strong at that time with Sarkozy and things like this like so all those like artistic side of the thing were being like shut down completely so I was like, time to move. <laughs> That's not my place anymore, you know. Then when I was in Berlin, I was like, yeah, maybe a record label is the best way to do that. And um, that's how it started, actually. Had you visited Berlin before you decided to move here? I came for one month, I remember, in July. And in September, I moved. <laughs> I just came for one month just to see, check, trying to find a place, trying to establish like first contacts, friends that I was not seeing since a while, like and after two months I moved completely. It sounds like one of the big attractions of Berlin was the fact that it's a very livable city, you know, relatively mm -hmm. inexpensive, pretty friendly to the arts, relatively left wing. But I would imagine the music was also a major draw, kind of given all of these influences. You're right. The music was a major factor. But like what was so interesting in Berlin for me it was a bit more general dynamic which is like uh, you know sometimes in our western society you have like let's say below the poor level people that just act to survive that's it and that's their life they just work to survive the underclass yeah the underclass let's say like then over this uh, like you have uh, people that make money, have a normal job, can manage a family and things like this that are usually very specialized. Like it's a lawyer, an engineer, a doctor, whatever. Like there are just few places left in this world where like there is this gray zone in between, you know, like that you can't really label as the one or the other. And this zone it's possible only if there are like a, the society allow it to exist, you know. That is the place where all the artistic output come from, at least the valuable one for me. In Berlin, this gray zone was so big, was the biggest in Europe, in my opinion, at that time, like seven years ago. It's getting tinier at the moment. 
it's still there, like in a different way than seven years ago, but still that was what was attracting me. Inside this gray zone, that's, you can find what you were saying, like the music output was very interesting, but it's because of a reason, because of this dynamics that that could exist. You know what I mean? Like That was the main magnet for me to the city. Stroboscopic artifacts was founded five years ago, which was relatively close to the time that you arrived in Berlin, mm -hmm. right? But yeah, one year and a half after, something like this. Yeah. Sure. Tell me about kind of how that all came together. How did the idea come about? How did you lay the groundwork? At that time, I, I was actually working a lot with a label called Merrstief from Stuttgart, which was like run by a guy called Walter Ercolino which was actually the first time that someone like really showed me deeply how that worked in a very professional way and in a respectful way towards the artists. And uh, this person was also working in a distribution and distribution at some point like said like, yeah, we're going to help out people that want to open a digital on your record label doing all the administrative work and stuff. And he was like, are you interested? Because we got very close uh, friends and stuff. I was like, yeah, let me think about it. Then, uh, then I was trying to understand how the methods and things like, and I was really missing. I was like... I can't really open just a digital record label. I need to find the physical support. It's so important to me, you know? Even if I am a digital-based DJ because I play with a tractor-based setup, but still the vinyl is like the CDs. It's so important to me, like for many reasons that we can also discuss, but I had no money at that time. I was very on the survival level. So I... Um, by chance, I managed to find some people that wanted to invest on it. And that's how it actually kicked off, you know. And also, to talk a bit more personally, like, you have to know that, like, the label, let's say, conception, inception, like, started in a moment of, very delicate moment of my life. Like, when I came to Berlin, it was kind of reset, of everything like the university was finished so it was like a matter of real deep choice what to do like it's really the moment like am I going to just follow the wave that pushed me to this point and just going with it or like listen to something else that I'm feeling that that is not exactly right you know like uh, and at the same time it was like economically total destruction and for many other reasons, like it was a very, very dark moment. That first year, like a lot of things happened in my mind and I was like a very kind of depressive black guy in that moment. At the same time, strangely and almost subconsciously, I was spending my nights uh, building up the label. And it's so strange because I'm telling you the truth, like I didn't really realize that that was happening, you know? It was like kind of this, uh, yeah, subconscious flow of things happening, of tying contacts and people together, talking, starting producing music in a certain way. And like all this came together silently by night when nobody could kind of realize it, you know, like 
I was thinking really that year, I was feeling like, you know, those moments of your life where you think like, I'm really lost, like lost, no perspective. No, I don't know what's going on in the next six months of my life. And at the same time, like subconsciously, like in parallel, you build up something that then took the shape of what I do in my everyday life, you know, and it's the main meaning. So it's like a very strange uh, balance, let's say. You know, it's interesting, yeah. like as a, as a journalist, that story at first would have prompted me to ask, like, did you feel like the label might not have happened? Like your, this sort of depressive period could have mm. derailed the whole thing, but it actually sounds like no, it was the opposite a, happened. A like it wouldn't have ever happened if, if you hadn't been going through that period. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. I can't see the label as possible without what I was in that moment. And this actually connect to a very important side of uh, not only the label, but also the kind of aesthetic we follow. Because I, again, I don't want to talk about gender because I don't believe in that, but like approach to to expression of yourself, to art. In the Greek culture, there was like, one of the main like artistic medium was the tragedy theater, where like the stories are really like, where the destiny, I was saying like, crash the hero, kind of like, uh, just take on you with no possibilities of like uh, escaping it, you know? And it's a very bad destiny usually. Like, why were they doing that? Because like, uh, of this catharsis process where like uh, the artist is a medium. It's like you could define a shaman for a certain culture. Like it's a medium that kind of absorb those kind of energies from the collectivity around them and manage through his ability in art to manipulate it and giving it the artistic shape. And this shape get out of himself and get represented to his society, the collectivity listened to your music, you know, and uh, in some way is empathic, so kind of see a mirror of certain feelings, you know. That process is really important because it's no more just inside you. And when you share that experience, the mirroring experience with the whole collectivity, this gives it an even stronger and powerful sense which is like mass recognition in certain specific topics, you know what I mean? Like, and that's how this dark music work, you know? Like sometimes people tell me like, why do you only do, when you make music, it's soft and pretty heavy going? Because if it's not heavy going, that's not something that needs to be said. Or like, you know what I mean? That That is the real function. And that is also the, when I say like, at the moment, DJs and electronic music producers are in a very strong position, which like, they have a responsibility and they need to take care of it. It's not random, you know, like it's a hugely powerful medium, you know, that goes like instantly to pretty big amount of people, you know, like with no, no walls, you know. That's how this catharsis system works for my music, for what I put out on the label. And uh, when I feel that this is happening, that's a track or an EP or an album for Stroboscopic. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. That's sort of what you're listening for then, that level of deep self-expression, but also um, expressing 
something greater about the world, about the situation? Yeah, not so directly, because uh, let's say I don't like even when it's too, let's say, politically identified and things like this. It's more like about like a kind of retrieving this kind of archetypes of feeling. Archetypes, I mean like some, imagine if you could identify and visualize feelings and like interpretation of reality through like basic geometrical shapes, you know, like uh, the triangle represent a world something, you know, and imagine like that an artist that for me as a value managed to represent the triangle, like where you can, like when the crowd can look and can at least not even like think about it, but they can kind of wake up certain parts of the the listener feeling that are like normally asleep in the everyday life, you know? Well, this makes me think of something that you said about your own music. Actually, in an RBMA interview, you said, I often translate external stimuli into music and then process them so much that you can't hear the original reference. And I, I wonder if that kind of like obfuscation, if that's a, a way of sort of bringing out what's deeper in the music than just what inspired it initially. Yeah, definitely. Because if you take off the identification with a reference, then like your focus is no more on like that particular reference. It's more about this big mud that is inside you that like we are made of stimuli. You know what I mean? There is nothing else. We are made of stimuli. It's like, how about how you make them resonates together to produce new stimuli. That's how our basic mental psychological dynamics work since we are born, you know. So it's just like amplifying that dynamic through music expression, you know, like, uh, so I think in that interview in particular I was, for example, talking about the field recordings, which are very important in my music production. And it's something that also usually catch my attention when I listen to something that is submitted for stroboscopic from some artists, you know. And field recordings works with the same dynamic, like uh, it's kind of, imagine to steal a piece of external reality. So someone laughing in the street, some steps of someone in the hallway or like the toilet flushing <laughs> and like transforming them like you kind of steal this from the horizontal plane of reality you steal that and you put it in something so abstract like the music which has like this very unique and uh, very strange language it's like mathematics like you can express things but at the same time it's like it has its own really code, you know what I mean? And kind of these stolen pieces of reality, which are the field recordings, are then like reprocessed and transformed through these new laws of a world that is no more horizontal. It's no more what you can touch or smell, but it's just like a very abstract thing, which is like a physical movement of air transformed by your neurons in... Uh, first a sound then a feeling you know like uh, so like this way is like a kind of trying to get still like a fit into that horizontal reality to not go too much higher in 
another place that could easily otherwise become very non-communicative because uh, I like, for example, very abstract music, but for myself, for my label, I still need to communicate in a more like a readable way. You know what I mean? Like still, even I also think that it's a statement when you decide not to, you know, that is a form of communication, but that is not my case, Jess. I, yeah. So it must be said that all of this kind of metaphysical stuff that we've been talking about that forms the basis of a label is like a pretty heady intellectual or, or even extra intellectual basis for a label was this a, a tough sell to, to artists at least in the beginning before this aesthetic was really established so sorry to be rude <laughs> it's not metaphysic for me it's not it's not theoretical it's like uh, my everyday life these are the things that count for me there's nothing else like i really don't care about the rest you know like i don't care about the those everyday dynamics of normal life just distract me from the main point that makes me feel alive. So I would not define it metaphysical or theoretical. This, like, it's actually the main point why I think, at least after five years, maybe I can say that without being too arrogant, but, like, uh, I think it's the only reason why, like, without having at the beginning, like, any big names behind us or any like 20 years career DJ that opened a label, you know what I mean? Or things like this. Like we were not even touring at all at the beginning. None of us, you know, <laughs> like none of us. We're really unknown completely. Like that's why like some of the 20 years career people like uh, get interested in the label, you know, because I guess they can feel that if you're sincere with yourself, that's the only, only, only way I can see like uh, developing something which can stay low profile and underground in the deeper sense that I can use for this world, like, uh, and still going somewhere and making a life out of it. You know what I mean? Like, that's why I don't like to call it like metaphysical. It's uh, very important to me that it's like, that's our reality. These people, my artists and myself, like when we sit down in the studio, that is our world. It's not like a imaginary, you know what I mean? Of course. Like, yeah. well, well, and what you've created with the label, it's obvious that, that there is this sort of deep commitment to it. I mean, to every step along the way, you do your own A&R, you, you choose what music you want to come out on this label, then you handle the post-production aspect of it. Uh, you're also, it sounds like, deeply involved in the production itself, at least in a feedback process. You also do the the artwork in-house. I mean, I think people can sense that commitment to, to the aesthetic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And if you, on this, we were kind of lucky because like uh, at the time when we started, there was also like this kind of uh, satellites around me that were also in the kind of same mindset, like mainly uh, the, the dub guys, which were also like just moved to Berlin and uh, were practicing with mastering and things. So we said like, okay, listen, I'm doing a record label. Why don't you open a mastering studio? And we just like tried to find our own formula. 
And that's what happened. And that's they opened Artifacts Mastering. That's uh, their studio. At the same time, uh, on the graphic aspect, I was also very lucky because, like, uh, Oblivious, which is the collective that takes care about all our graphic output and identity in general, is run by my brother Ignacio. And I mean, like, when it's like this, you almost don't need to talk. We grew up together with those kind of everything I said to you about my roots and evolution was together with him. So like, all these things just came together at the right point, you know, in a very unexpected way, as I told you, because once again, it was a tough moment for me. But like, at the same time, in a way or the other, he like water find its way. You know what I mean? When uh, when you are sincere with yourself, it finds its way. Like that's it. Yeah, it's a hard sell, as you say. That means you kind of need to be ready to lose everything, or to be as I was in a moment where you don't have anything to lose. Like uh, like everything can come in that moment of deep nothing. All doors are open, you know what I mean? Like, that's uh, that's how it is, yeah. I am interested in this feedback process that you have with artists who are releasing on the label. It does sound like you're, you're deeply involved in it. If you're not, you're not producing the music itself, mm. you definitely have some kind of hand in the production. Tell me how that, that whole process kind of goes. So, first, there is like quite a difference in with certain artists or others because let's say that you as a label manager you kind of have to be very respectful of course like some people prefer to not have too much input when they produce some others allow me to communicate a lot with them during the production so like do that maybe try to not even change that because once again it's not about the single sound of things but like uh, we talk about once again about very abstract things actually like uh, we talk about like space sense of time and things like this then they each of them translate this into technically into let's say music uh, systems and techniques you know like uh, but this kind of feedback effect is so important because I realized how my music during these five years changed so much because the label output influenced myself, even if I was the one deciding the label output. That doesn't matter. Also because I always left quite a big freedom field for the artist. It's like... For me, the important is not the single track you do, how you put the hi-hat or where is the break in the track. Like, it doesn't matter if I feel like that the approach to the music is sincere and is the right one, you can do whatever you wish. You know, yeah, like, it, it uh, almost sounds like there's less, you know, someone sends you a track and you send back like, eh, maybe take those hi-hats down a little bit. It's more... Never did that. Yeah, no. it's, it's much more about... Um, sort of fine-tuning the ideas yeah, behind it's, the it's more about send me the track and I can tell you I think you were distracted like I can't feel your soul focused in that like I think you were like in the most respectful way but I have to say it you know what I mean like so sorry this is not for us or like they sent me a bunch of things, like it was with Dadab at the beginning. At the beginning, they were not even producing that much. They were like mainly focused on the mastering studio. Like, uh, 
at some point I remember Daniele, one of them, like that sent me like a bunch of trucks and I was like, one of them was like, Daniele, I really think that is the beginning, that track is the beginning of a huge cosmos for you. Follow that and let's start thinking about an album which came like two years later based on this kind of seeds that start growing one after the other, you know? And it's the same for me because this kind of approach rules that are so important to me, in this like kind of the label manager is always a bit psycho, like split in two, because on one side I put the rules and then I have to <laughs> obey to them as well. And here we come back to what I told you when I said like one of the main point about the label and focusing on a particular aesthetic of sound, which people call techno, it is about this discipline exercise. So like uh, focus, that's the point, focus, you know, like find your center in what you do, you know what I mean? Then you can go like crazy around it, but like you need to have it in front of you, you know? So when you're working on your own music, I mean, do you have someone or some people who you can kind of bounce things off of like this? I could imagine this is, you know, having a label manager say to to someone, no, I think you need to focus a bit deeper. It, it sounded like you were a little off in the woods during this part would be extremely valuable. How are you able to get that feedback for your own music? I often have some of these people listening to my things. If you think about it, for example, how the, the dub guys has been so important to me because with the fact that they have the whole post-production in their hands of our output, when it was for me, our studio is very close to like... Uh, it was like, before even giving them the mix sound, it was even better like, okay, come to your studio, listen to a mix sound, so if we need to correct something we do before post-production, it's even better. But that was not that innocent, because the moment where Giovanni or Daniele from the dub were sitting down there, it was already doing something together. It was immediately starting discussing about things and, and then we got lost in this like seven hours, sometimes really fights, you know, but like so useful fights. Like it's kind of so, so strong that you process it during even days and days. And this, for example, for my first album costed me once in particular to rebuild completely the album after one year of work. You know what I mean? Like... That kind of continuous struggle, it's the basic of this feedback system. The more uncompromising an artist is, the more precious is to me. Because like uh, I know myself and I know how, as I was telling you, I'm kind of addicted to communication, you know? Like for me, it's too important. Maybe it relates to my difficulties with the loneliness in general, but like uh, it's still very important for me. And when I see these artists that are so integral, you know, like so they don't need to communicate too much. They already, they're very satisfied in their own sphere and world. Those kind of artists, it's like for me, every time they open the mouth with me, it's like a treasure, you know. And to give you a few examples, I think immediately to to the dub, to a rose, to this kind of people, you know. 
At the same time, this for one kind. The other kind, other people are very communicative, like Filter or Canning Ray are very like handsome people, you know, like uh, those people as another kind of treasure because like they can... Um, Let's say you can listen to them without even fear. That <laughs> sometimes I feel with those others. You know what I mean? Like, uh, so it's like uh, all these factors come together, and this process is actually this feedback cycles are very long because sometimes like I decide the music output of the label while I'm producing things, and always like when surprises come, this immediately influence when I sit down in my studio, you know, and I can then maybe one year after when those things I was working on are coming out, it's like a result of what has been releasing to, you know what I mean? And it's also the other way around because of course being like the label head, often the artists try to understand where I'm going to give me something that is... uh, coherent with our approach you know what I mean so it's like uh, this two sides relationship is like super useful you know like I wonder if there's been a project that you've done as a label over the years whether that's uh, somebody's EP or album or a series that you found to be especially inspiring as an artist yourself mm-hmm. yeah um, if you ask me that immediately that's the late series come to my mind, like, because, uh, let's say after a few years, when we kind of really in techno, as people conceive it, we reached like a very effective point of expression. Like when we really knew what we were doing, you know, like consciously, then I needed to kind of detach from that consciousness, you know, to have uh, again that like uh, sub-driving force that is more like uh, not too manageable, you know. And so we came out with this idea of the of a new series dedicated to another aspect of electronic music, which is like uh, which is actually connected to what we were already doing in techno, but focusing on the earlier stage. So like what comes in the artist's mind before the artist can give it a structured shape with those like patterns and dogmas that make it recognized as techno, you know? So for me, what I was telling to the artists that I invited in the series was like, I need you for this not to do an ambient track or an electronica track. It's not about them making an ambient compilation. It's about like, I want you to focus. When you express yourself in techno, there must be an earlier stage when those ideas are still like uh, at the pure feeling level you know so imagine like uh, i was often using the painter metaphor to express that to the artists invited like was like imagine a painter you know when you start like painting your portrait there is also something else there is not just the portrait there is also your palette you know where you mix all the colors piece of wood where you mix all the colors first 
and then you find your perfect shades you then put them on a painting so i want you to focus on this palette where like the colors are still all confused but the most interesting things of this palette is that like potentially contain all the possible paintings you know what i mean like those kind of uh, range of colors that you choose uh, are like uh, the range of emotions that you choose to to select that are useful for your uh, needs for this must of expressing yourself through music you know that was the main point of the Stellate series and on that side of course it was hugely inspiring because it was like kind of a kind of a needed point for me and I thought for the label to um, kind of go forward like not sit down on what we were achieving but like once again coming back and like believing this more subterranean forces that drives our music making you know like uh, it's a more blind process but it's so powerful you know because you are really then like those artists just felt really free from any kind of dogma and then some some miracle happened like uh, i don't know when when i when I heard the first time like James Ruskin contribution when uh, one of his tracks it was like uh, so melodic so so different from anything he ever did even his most ambient output like it was so different it was really pure emotion like I remember putting the headphones which is not so easy for me starting to cry like a baby you know what I mean like I was like that's uh, I can't say anything and it just need to cut it and put it on vinyl that's it like you know, no discussions about about nothing that was the purest ex- example of it in another kind of approach uh, Luke Slater as LB Dub Corporation like contribution which was like his way of interpreting dub in electronic music but in such a more much more extreme and raw way you know like with almost no beat but at the same time I couldn't stop moving when I was hearing that it was like so transporting me so deeply into the vertical level we were talking about when we were discussing about the horizontal plan of reality of everyday life and vertical way of approaching uh, artistic expression so yeah that's the late series was definitely uh had a huge impact on me like and huge mainly because it was like the most surprising thing from like my idea to what after came out you know because when you when you really allow the artist to be so freed from that and to focus on what's this palette so what's really the main source behind all the rest of the output then you get a lot of it's like completely unexpected and i even told myself uh, don't discuss too much about them let them do and whatever you get you like it or not if any if it's something like disturbing to your ears just release it as it is you know like it was like a a sacred object for me every single track I got for that series like 
Is that a series you would like to pick up again at some point in the future? I still don't know because it was kind of uh, born to be those four releases, each with a double 10 inch. And it was important to be like a chance, limited in time and space. You know what I mean? Like, for sure, we will get back to that point of like subterranean driving force. Like, when I feel that the label needs it, you know what I mean? But I don't know if it's going to be like a follow up of the Stellate or something else. But those elements are, of course, like uh, very present. It will happen again. <laughs> like, the label over the last five years has definitely brought you a lot of attention. I think it's it's allowed you to travel the world, put your music out. You maintain a pretty busy schedule, both with the label and with DJ gigs, and especially with all of that traveling. I would imagine it has the potential to, to wear you down a little bit, to maybe make you um, a bit cynical, maybe. Could certainly happen to some people. How do you maintain that focus, that commitment how do you not become worn down by the schedule because i try to be careful with the schedule like i'm not the kind of djs just take all the offers whatever you know i tend to play shows that has a sense you know what i mean like and uh, of course the schedule is very busy that's true like uh, but at the same time it's busy for certain reasons. It's like not random promoters usually that book me. You know what I mean? Like it's uh, it's usually quite enriching, actually empowering. You know, like and uh, it's all about how you actually deal with it. To kind of don't always look for more, 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 more. Much to understand that like on a long term, it's very important to have moments on your own. Like you know, like one month when you don't play two months you need one year one year whatever that is like that is not the point like to remember that playing and the gigs and the world booking industry is important because you make a life out of it but like at the same time it's only a second stage that comes because your approach was of a certain kind that is not the target you know what i mean that that is not the like your ultimate goal your isn't, goal, to, isn't yeah, to play all the DJ gigs you yeah, can. It's not like playing is not the goal. Playing is just a factor around what you do in general that allows you to communicate in such an amazing and instantaneous way to a huge amount of people and that lucky elect you to this function of energy medium for a huge crowd, you know, like when you are there you control the energies for thousands of people. That's the responsibility I was talking about. So if you manage to find your way of not just getting those energies like being sucked out of you, but to grab also from them, that means through your releases, your music, your approach, when you talk in interviews, educate your public as your public educates you in like respecting each other then the warning out is not that much of a problem. It sounds like it has the opposite effect almost. Yeah, it has the opposite effect. And it's also kind of interesting how sometimes like 
when um, the two busy schedules keep me away from the studio for a long time, then when I get in the studio again, I'm so effective, you know, because I was holding, holding, holding for so long. And when I sit down, everything comes like a wave, you know what I mean? So I found this, uh, while when I was like not doing that much and staying too much in the studio, I was always finding myself most of the time just turning around and then having this epiphanic moment where things were making sense and a track was done or an album was done. Like now it's... Uh, the, the balance is much more organic, I think, through the gigs too, you know. 